Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. So welcome to episode 11 of Middle Brown Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gunnay. In a July appearance on the comedian Joe Rogan's podcast, <laughs> Jordan Peterson explained how Michaela's oh, experience Lord. had convinced him to eliminate everything but meat and leafy greens from his diet, and then in the last two months he had gone full meat and eliminated vegetables. Since he changed- Full meat <laughs> is like the next knuckle tats I'm getting. Since he changed his diet, his laundry list of maladies has disappeared, he told Rogan. His lifelong depression, anxiety, gastric reflux, and associated snoring, inability to wake up in the mornings, psoriasis, gingivitis, floaters in his right eye, numbness on the sides of his legs, problems with mood regulation, all of it is gone, and he attributes it to his diet. <laughs> I'm certainly intellectually at my best, he said. <laughs> I'm stronger, I can swim better, and my gum disease is gone. It's like, what the hell? Do you take any vitamins, asked Rogan. No. No, I eat beef and salt and water. That's it. And I never cheat, ever. Not even a little bit. No soda, no wine. I drink club soda. Well, that's oh still Lord. water. Well, if you're down to that level, no, it's not, Joe. There's club soda, which is really bubbly. There's Perrier, which is sort of bubbly. There's flat water, and there's hot water. These distinctions start to become important. Peterson reiterated several times that he is not giving dietary advice, but said that many attendees of his recent speaking tour have come up to him and said the diet is working for them. The takeaway for listeners is that it worked for Peterson, so it may work for them. Rogan also clarified that, although he was not an expert, he is fascinated by the fact that he hasn't heard any, any negative stories about people who have started an all-meat diet. Now, here's... This next part is why I wanted to read this for you. This is wonderful, so get ready for it. Okay, so all, all of this was set up. Here's the punchline. Yes. Well, I have a negative story, said Peterson. Both Michaela and I noticed that when we restricted our diet and then ate something we weren't supposed to, the reaction was absolutely catastrophic. He gives the example of having had some apple cider and subsequently being incapacitated oh, yeah, for a month this. by what he believes was an inflammatory response. You were done for a month? Oh, yeah. It took me out for a month. It was awful. Apple cider? What was it doing to you? It produced an overwhelming sense of impending doom. I seriously mean overwhelming. There's no way I could have lived like that. But see, Michaela knew by then that it would probably only last a month. A month from fucking cider? I didn't sleep that month for 25 days. I didn't sleep at all for 25 days. What? How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. You lay in bed frozen in something approximating terror for eight hours. And then you get up. So, Derek. First of all, I want to congratulate you on gobbling up 180 fucking seconds with that bit. <laughs> to be fair, I think that everyone listening needs to know that Jordan Peterson, uh, patron saint of the intellectual dark web, was down. Shame of my nation. Was down for a month because he ate apple. He drank some apple cider. Because it messed with his all-beef diet. All he eats is beef, salt, and water. Derek, 
Do you think that's a healthy way to live? That's a piss poor way to live, and it's right right in line with his philosophies on pretty much everything else. Now, my question is: It's this is not apple cider vinegar. No, this is just this, he, Jordan Peterson got drunk because he ate poorly, and his body didn't agree with it, and so he didn't sleep well for a month. I get. Well, it doesn't say necessarily that it was alcoholic apple cider either. It could have just been like, like sparkling, sparkling cider. Yeah, I I don't have him here, <sighs> so I can't really ask him any further questions. But this is I just. This is one of those things that is stuck in my brain for like the past year. <laughs> Whenever anyone brings up how logical and wonderful Jordan Peterson is, this this fact I find to be just marvelous. <laughs> also, his list of ailments is like Bob Duke light. Like, oh <laughs> uh, uh, God. How dare you make me empathize with Joe Rogan? Also, How I dare you. I, I wish I had a Joe Rogan impression. I don't have it in my back pocket, but I had my Jordan Peterson impression, so that was good enough. Well, I th- I think Joe Rogan just sounds sh- shouty and broy and excitable. He just talks about his third eye and how you have to take ecstasy and MDMA and that chimpanzees are really strong. It's me, Joe Rogan. I think this is how he sounds like. <laughs> that's, 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 that's not bad. That's probably not true. It's not bad. I mean, he, he didn't sound quite like that when he was on Fear Factor, but... I know Joe Rogan as, like, the MMA guy. Yeah, I think that's, like, been his whole shtick for a while now. I, I first, like, learned about him from Fear Factor, obviously, the reality show. Did you... Sure. Was that a, was that a thing in Canada? It was a thing, but we kind of had our own Francophilic version of it called Fog Voyage. It was an imported format from France where it took place on a literal fort island in the middle of the ocean. And it was like stunts and challenges that were kind of Fear Factor-esque. And if you succeeded in doing the challenges, you would get keys. And they had like a little person dressed up in the <laughs> getup who would be like the key, who would be like the key master. What? Right? And every, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would have the key. They would like bring the keys. He was like a co-host. Um, and at the end, uh, the idea is that you had to spell out like a keyword that you had to deduce as from a series of clues that you also got. And if you spelled out the right clue, you got a payout in doubloons. It was a whole thing. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of layers to that, Derek, that yet it wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, let's just put it this way. It was huge in the Francophony. <laughs> copy um but we're not here today to talk uh, about joe rogan are we i guess not <laughs> uh we're here to talk about the seventh art motion pictures uh specifically for motion pictures but let's lay out our show's mo a little bit more clearly because i can understand oh, why people would by be the way, a little disoriented um, by this bit that you've decided to start the my show name's with. isabel for those who didn't know i didn't say and that. and i'm Yes, that's right. I mean, that's also the thing with these bits is that I introduce myself and that's your cue to do your thing. And then invariably you forget to introduce yourself. And now I've got to explain the show. All right. So yes, Middlebrow Madness. What the hell is this anyway? We don't usually talk about the shame of my nation, Jordan Peterson, on the show. Oh, we're, we usually- I have some more articles. <laughs> we will at some point. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, movies. I was telling Derek that I have accumulated so many, like, awful things to, like, make him listen to on the podcast that we need to have a second podcast just called, like, hey, the internet sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) That's, and I just read things to you and and we're both like, wow, that, that sucks. And here's the thing. I've got no countermeasures. I don't know what, because what I could do, I have to do within the first 10 seconds of the show. (laughs) You have to get in there before I get in there. 
I know, and I don't know how I would do that because I still want to introduce the show. I still want to like sort of uh I want to ground it at least a little bit before you blast off into orbit with it. Middlebrow fucking madness. Our show. What did we do here? Well, I'm glad you asked, hypothetical listener. Um we have a big old bracket. 256 movies, 250 of which are sourced from the Internet Movie Database's Top 250 Films of All Time list as of August 2018. The other six are wildcard movies that we've selected, three from me, three from Isabel. And what do we do with these? Well, we face them off head-to-head until we get a champion. That's right, a single elimination bracket to find the best movie asterisk of all time. Uh, We also have vetoes. Because since this is a two-person operation, we, well, sometimes we won't agree. And we get four vetoes for the first round. I have used one, and Isabel has used two. Wait, no. What? No. I think I just used one. You use yours for three idiots. Yes. But I, I, use, used, I have not used a second one. I used one for... Oh, right, because mine Raging was... Bull. I, I, Raging Bull. I conceded one because it didn't want to use one in a recent episode. So we yes, each have yes, yes. so we each have three vetoes left, and I feel like one of them is going to get used today. Maybe but more by, than one. We'll see. Maybe more than one. Who knows? Um, so right now we're still getting started in the first round. We've got ten episodes behind us, which means that twenty matchups and forty films have already been accounted for. What are today's matchups? Well, I'm glad you asked again, hypothetical listener. Our matchups today are Your Name versus Gone Girl and Apocalypse Now versus Before Sunrise. Now, maybe we can start the episode proper 10 minutes in. <laughs> um, I mean, I was literally thinking about just interrupting you and reading Beto O'Rourke's poetry from when he was like a teen hacker. <laughs> but uh, we'll leave that off the table for right now. Oh man, which means it's probably going to show up in a future episode. This the the dynamic of the of the show, as far as I understand it, ten episodes in, eleven episodes in, is I try to make the show happen, and Isabel just makes the internet happen at me. Hey, people have been very complimentary of the recent episodes, so <laughs> shout out to uh, people. Shout outs to people. I mean, uh, I don't get I don't get deep stats on this. We could probably sell out like a like a like a like a lion's hall or something. <laughs> is that like a like an American Legion? Kind of, yeah. It's a Canadian or a American Hall? Legion, something like that. Gotcha. I saw a uh, I saw a band that would later become Born of Osiris in an American Legion. I don't know if you know any metal bands, Derek, but they're a relatively know, popular one. I know, I know some metal bands, but a lot of them are old, and people don't like them very much. Okay. Um. So what I'm saying is we could be the next Born of Osiris of podcasting. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what's one thing I would actually really like is like one of these days we're going to have to do like a like a test ad read to show people we can actually do those properly so that way like we can get like Bad Dragon to sponsor us. I'm determined to get Bad Dragon <laughs> specifically. If we can get other sponsors that's cool. I want to make that that money, but I want Bad Dragon to sponsor us. At the risk of making our episode stretch past the 60 minute mark due to bits, I do want to ex- I, do, I do want to go down this particular rabbit hole a little bit more. It's like uh, Bad Dragon sp- sponsoring us is like not wouldn't be the weirdest thing that's happened on the internet, but I do want to think like what would a middlebrow man what would a middlebrow madness branded sex toy or marital aid be? 
It'd be th- incredibly difficult to use, way too long, and have too many tangents on it. <laughs> so functionally unusable. Functionally unusable. If there's one thing I can say about our podcast and a dildo made in our image, it would be in, in, that. In our image. Well, like a little metaphorical like a li- image. <laughs> okay, because you're not thinking of like a, a sex toy with like a little Derek and Isabel effigy on it. <laughs> no, it's not like that one like Obama dildo they made that just looked like Obama. They made an Obama face. dildo? Hold on. Oh Lord. Y'all, I'm sorry. I didn't um, mean for this to be like this. I just wanted to talk about movies. Now we're talking about Obama dildos. I'm I'm loading up an image. Thank you, Imger, for this gif right oh, here. My God. It's not a dirty gif besides the dildo. Oh Lord, look at that. It's got balls on it too. It does. It looks like a the balls look like a butt. <laughs> It's just Obama's smiling face. You can get one. I saw one of Jesus as well. That one's a little more, a little more, a little edgier. A little edgier. It's for the the real edge lord in the audience. Speaking um, of, we get to contend with David Fincher again. We do. And, and our first uh, didn't think I could pull that. Look segue at you pulling, pulling us out of the abyss. Thank you, Derek. I I appreciate it. Even though I have the Bad Dragon web page open and I was ready to go, but uh, <sighs> let's just go for, for right now. You know, we're talking about Gone Girl. We're talking about your name. Let's go. Yes. Tale of the tape for our first matchup today. The seventy. If anyone scene. knows anyone oh. at Bad Dragon, just like email them and say hey. Or hey, I think they have a Twitter at them and be like, hey, listen, this podcast they they're they like your products. Um, they want to uh, have a sponsorship with you. They do it for free. I would I would do a Bad Dragon sponsorship for free for one one time. If we we're going to do more than that, I'd need to get paid. But for one Full time disclosure, yes, I cannot vouch for. The products of the uh, of the Bag Dragon Company, <laughs> but hey, maybe if we get sponsored, you'll get like free samples. <laughs> now, this is the part where you say if you can vouch for the toys of the for the products of the Bad Dragon Company. Oh no, I, I think I think people who follow me on the internet are aware that I've I've owned some Bad Dragon dongers in my lifetime. That's I'm not. Pe- Listen, I need to like clarify something here. I'm not particularly interested in fucking any dragons. It's just not something sure. that's uh, like no shade on those who do for real. Like if that's your thing, totally cool. Um, I just thought that they looked like really cool dildos and they are ridiculously good quality. Like, I mean, they make sense. I spent like a hundred bucks on it, but like it was my treat. It was one of my treats to myself for moving out to the Pacific Northwest. This, we haven't even fucking started and we're 15 minutes deep. And, and yeah, I mean, none of this yes- is usable, is it? I don't know if, uh, like, I will leave that, I will leave that to your judgment, uh, uh, Madam Editor. Okay. But, uh, uh, I mean, at the very least, they'd make a good conversation piece. Moving on! The tale of the tape. <laughs> They're for our ridiculously well detailed no, as well. Isabel, we have to do this! <laughs> yes, we have to do go, the show! Do, do the thing, do the thing. Tale of the tape for round one. Uh, well, for match one, we are, all of these are in round one. The 78 seed. Which was very surprising to me. Your Name, released in 2016, directed by Makoto Shinkai, starring Ryonusuke Kamiki, uh, The Attack of the Bad Handwriting, and Mone Kamishiraishi. And I didn't know this either. Number four on Japan's all-time domestic box office, directly behind Spirited Away, and directly ahead. It's number four, so it's like, uh, it's Titanic and Spirited Away and one other movie that I'm forgetting. But number four is nothing to sneeze at. 
uh, went three for five at the Japan Academy Prize Awards that year and a $350 million worldwide box office. So a genuine anime phenomenon. A smash hit. A smash hit. And uh, uh, like, you know, I know it's a little gauche to quote your own letterbox stuff, but God bless the weebs that got this shit in the top 250. Yes. Straight up. Facing off against the 179 seed Gone Girl, released in 2014, directed by David Fincher. He's going to try again to get one in round two. Uh, written by and adapted from the novel by Jillian Flynn, starring Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Carrie Coon, and Tyler Perry. Over one at the Oscars. The only nomination was Rosamund Pike. And another sort of genuine hit, $160 million uh, domestic uh, box office on a $61 million budget. Surprisingly, I was very surprised to learn it's Fincher's best like grossing movie ever. Yes. it. Uh, I, I like the kind of subtle ways these movies rhyme because they are not the most popular necessarily, but definitely the most financially successful movies by each of these directors. And they both kind of deal with uh like a a, a, rel- a relationship unstuck in in time and place yeah uh, in very very different ways and i was really curious to find cuz i know that david fincher everyone loves david fincher he's only had four blockbusters in his in his career and i was really surprised to find out that benjamin button was one of them that's sad <laughs> it's his like, worst movie I, yeah, I think it's safe to say that that's his, that that's the, the worst, uh, David Fincher movie. Uh, four of his movies grossed 100 million domestic. Gone Girl, his, uh, highest grossing one was 160. Uh, Benjamin Button was 128. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was 102. And Seven just got past the 100 million dollar mark. Yeah, I, I, f- I forget that, like, Fight Club wasn't as big as maybe, in my memory, it seems like it should have been because of the cultural impact it had, but it had a long tail. And uh, I think Social Network was at like ninety nine, like just, just, just underneath a hundred. Yeah. Uh, so your name, Makoto Shinkai. It's, it's Let's Isabel. talk about it's my name. It. Oh, yeah. but up, up, This is the bullshit I've got to put up with. <laughs> um, do you want to kind of tell the plot of this one, or do you want me to kind of get in there real quick? Real, real quick. Your name is a story about a boy and a girl who swap bodies in the great tradition of body swap movies. They wake up in each other's bodies every now and again. One lives in the city, one lives in the country, and spoiler alert, they're three years apart. Now, we talk in the Slack about, uh, we talk a lot about what we say is emotional storytelling. Storytelling that doesn't really hold up to, quote, logical scrutiny. It's like really interesting that you started this off with like a Jordan Peterson riff, because what is YouTube film criticism other than just a bunch of Jordan Peterson's spouting off about why movies have mistakes in them? The like cinema sin school of here's everything wrong with Back to the Future 2 or whatever. Half right? of which is factually incorrect in its own way. Sure. Now, Makoto Shinkai is probably, no, I think I'll go out and say, I think he's probably the most sort of emotionally devastating filmmaker working in Japanese animation. I would say in all of contemporary film. I'm going to make a very bold claim. I think that he's the best melodrama creator we have right now. Um, One of the best ever. And 
his, his films hit like a ton of bricks. They, everyone that I know of that enjoys them ends them like sobbing. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's like if, like, if I were to like do just like sort of a broad, like painting with a broad brush, I would say like, um, I would say like, uh, God damn it, what's his name? Hos- uh, Mamoru Osoda is the head, and uh, Masaki Yuasa is the id, and Makoto Shinkai is the heart. I think that's a very valid statement to make for all three of them. And this particular, like, so the crux of the movie is like, we get to learn about these two, these two characters, uh, sort of their routines, how they deal in their day to day, and, um, and the base, and they realize, wait, I'm in someone else's body. So they independently try to figure out who the other person is. But spoiler alert, they are split not only by distance, but by time, because one person is three years ahead of the other. So this opens up, uh, opportunities for all kinds of like wild, sort of primer esque time shenanigans storytelling. But it's also very, it's also, it's also very heart-wrenching because it's kind of a literalization of the impossibility of human connection uh, or like true actual uh, human connection, not just through space, but through time. Yeah. I think it's, it's weird because it's a, I think it's a crowd pleasing movie. I think by the fact that it made such a huge box office, it is clearly very crowd pleasing, but it's also a movie that's about memory and losing memory. It's about, not yes. being able to connect, not being able to understand other people. It's about um, forgetting. It's about not being able to understand what someone else is going through. And it's about love that doesn't, that isn't fulfilled, let's say. Which is par for the course for Makoto Shinkai's work. It because is. That, uh, everything we're saying about your name uh, could apply very much to could apply Five to Degrees a Second or The Place Promised Promise to Us in, in Early, early days, days. Or... Uh, uh, someone's gaze, which I adore. It's a short film he made that I think is absolutely voices of incredible. a distant star. Yeah, um, I mean everything that we've seen, this kind of fits in. I mean the the uh, Shinkai has like pet themes, but I think there's a key difference in this because it's it, as much as it is about forgetting and misconnections, it's also about how I mean it, not it's not really about it, but it, this is what it kind of lands on is that it doesn't happen a lot. And it may not happen to you, but all it's got to do is happen once, and all the world's puzzle pieces just fall into place, and everything is right with the universe, and you remember that one fucking thing you forgot. Which, it's, I, I'm almost at a loss for words for this film because it it hits me so like it, it's like a bodily feeling, kind of the same way like a good horror film is or like a good action sure. film. It's like a body feeling more than it is a head feeling, and um. I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but if I just look at, like, for example, the skyboxes that Shinkai uses, um, like oh, magnificent, magnificent skies, incredible skies. Like, uh, like I would have they all all those as posters. I would have all those as like my dreams. I've literally had dreams that look like his skies, and they all look like long exposures. They all look like you can see the courses of the stars, and if something is passing through the night sky, it leaves a streak, and the colors are not possible but they're plausible they all they look like big northern lights yeah and it reminds me of the fullness of feeling like when you were like a kid like sure it's very 
open-hearted, almost embarrassingly open-hearted. I could see this movie easily coming across as pandering or kind of silly if you're not there for it. Well, this is kind of what I was talking about uh, regarding emotional filmmaking, because none of this movie makes any fucking sense. No, not at all. Like, the, <laughs> the magic that's happening, the technology that's happening, none of it actually seems to work, but you you understand it. But it's like, because it, there's that nugget of humanity that sort of grounds it, and that's why you buy the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're t- when you're talking about those puzzle pieces kind of coming together, um, the other day I had a smaller version of that where I was um, there's this video game I played as, as when I was like nine or ten years old as a sure. demo in Walmart. I never owned oh, yeah, the game. Yeah, I remember you posted this about Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. I'd never owned the game. I'd never knew what the title was. Maybe that like at the moment that I played it, I did, but I never remembered it. And it was just kind of stuck in my head because it was one of the first times that I realized I was transgender. It was one of the first times, or, or at least I, I had an inkling of that. I was Because I saw a character that I identified with and I saw myself in that wasn't a dude. And sure. it stuck with me so much, but I could never remember the, what the exact thing was. And the other day, I just happened to remember that and I happened to figure out what the exact game was. And it was this almost overwhelming moment of everything kind of finally, it's the two periods of my life being bridged together in just a second. And seeing all the distance between them, seeing everything that happened from A to B. And it's like that magical final piece comes in. And this film is all, the way it lands and the ending of it, which you described as his best ending, which rewatching it, I still think five centimeters a second is slightly better just because it's a little bit sadder and I'm a sad, sad bitch. But (laughs) it works so incredibly well um, because it, it ends on a note of hope that is magical without being without being unbelievable. Sure. I still think that A Place Promised is both his best movie and his best ending. Which because I th- I need I to think- rewatch it sometime because I adore Makoto Shinkai, but this that's the one of his that didn't work for me. But I think maybe it was just a certain day, maybe just something like a bug on my ass or something. I I think the scale and the emotional pitch it goes for. And I kind of like the sort of, not that, like, I like the polish on your name. I do kind of like the lack of polish on the older movies. You like the faces in, like, Voices of a Distant Star? I think, I don't know if I like them like them. I I, I can appreciate them as, like, someone just, like, building a movie from scratch. I mean, the skyboxes are already there. I'm willing to take the L on the faces. Okay, yeah, fair. Although I do, I think that the... The character acting, both in the vocal performances in this film and also the uh, the facial animation, is incredibly effective. Uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, clearly, this is the most money he's had to make a movie. Yes, yes. It looks as pretty as a Ghibli film, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. Um, God, there was something else I wanted to say about this. Um, we're running out of time, this, just you know. Okay, this movie is... I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Electric Light Orchestra's 1981 album, Time. Wow, what a Derek poll. Go on. Okay. All right. So, I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Electric Light Orchestra. The, I, I'm fine with them. I have no strong okay. feelings one way or the other. Okay. So, in 1981, so kind of like post their heyday, they put out like a synth pop album, basically, called Time, which is a concept album about like uh someone who wakes up kind of like a, a Rip Van Winkle situation where someone wakes up in the future and there's robots ooh but 
uh, he kind of like, he falls in love with like a like a cyborg lady, and it's a whole thing. And it's it's a pretty good album. And the second track on the album is called Twilight. And uh, to tie it back to anime history, that song was a soundtrack to uh, to a trailer for a convention called Daikon Four. And uh, that trailer wow. was made by. By either dudes who were or were about to be members of Gynax. And that song, this movie, Your Name, I think is like the perfect literalization of that song and that album and that feeling. Because that song has like this grand Springsteen-esque piano crescendo. And it's 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 a hell of a song. And obviously Twilight is like a huge sort of plot point Theme. in the film. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, and my first letterbox review of this was literally just lyrics from that song, because it's about dreams and not knowing if you're awake or not and stuff like it's it's a, it's a whole thing. And this was Derek's big tangent about ELO. I mean, to be fair, that is, I can't imagine a more Derek point of reference than an ELO song that was in the trailer for a convention that was made by people who would later go on to be in Gynax. <laughs> yeah, don't quote me on any of that, but most of that is true. Um, uh, we need to move on, but the only thing I want to say last is that my, my letterbox review for this, uh, the one I just made, like a real quick capsule is just outside of possibly Malik. Um, there is no director currently working who understands the divine religious power of affect as well as Shinkai. And I'm, when I say I'm at a loss for words, it's because this movie makes me feel so, so much more than almost any other film I can think of that I'm just, I'm filled with the emotion and it, surp- it went past my brain and just embodied me. But but we can talk about a movie that's all brain. Oh, all brain. If this was all heart, this is all brain. This is like, this is a, a cerebral assassin of a movie. And I just snuck a wrestling reference past you. Awesome. Moving on to Gone Girl. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I was hoping there'd be something for me to say, but I couldn't think of anything. And I was just frozen in like silence. <laughs> um, give me at least that. You're right. I'll, so, I'll leave that silence in just so everyone can understand my my paralyzed moment of fear that this was going to become a fucking wrestling podcast, uh, like I mean, every other podcast in existence at this point. Is there really like a plurality of wrestling podcasts? I mean, I feel like all the podcasts that I used to listen to have become wrestling podcasts. Like, um, I don't even know in television is half a wrestling podcast now. Yeah. Um, you have Giant Bomb. They talk about wrestling all the time. It's just, it's a wrestling's back, baby, in a big way. And never left. Well, left mainstream like culture, but uh... it did. There, there was a there was a definite lull between like. The there Rock was a lull period, in, and there was yeah, obviously there was like, like John Cena was popular, but like it wasn't yeah, the a thing room. people really cared about. At least in the like, it wasn't cool to care about it for a while. Now it's back to now, being cool. Yeah, the re- the ruthless aggression era was was is not fondly looked upon. So like like post like post the Rock pre CM Punk, probably probably better off not thinking about it. But let's talk about Gone Girl instead. Um, this is a great movie. And I think it's a top three David Fincher movie for me. <laughs> um, I think I would agree, actually. Um, okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. It's a little close because like, I really – I love The Social Network. I love Zodiac and I love Alien 3. If I had to drop one of those, I don't know which one I'd drop, but um, 
So this movie, if you're if you're not familiar, dear listener, is about a couple of assholes who get married, and uh, the the mind games that they uh, that they play upon upon each other. Speaking in of anime mind games, so, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. Chris, uh, shout out to Chris Mello who bought me uh, Mind Game on Blu-ray for my birthday. That was completely uh, irrelevant, wasn't it? <laughs> Keep going, Derek. Sorry to continue to derail this podcast every single time we get any momentum going. Jesus Christ! You, the you are the derailer. So okay, so Gone Girl, uh, Ben Affleck wakes up one day and he like farts around and he's like, "Oh shit, where's 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 my wife, Rosamund Pike?" and uh, <laughs> my wife, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. Oh man, I don't even want to entertain this. Anyway, Rosamund Pike. Borat's coming back, baby. Borat's. It's look. Borat jokes were very funny for like a week after Borat came out, and then they were the least funny thing on earth for like five years. Now they're they're getting back up there. I feel like the longer we get out from Borat being important in any way, shape, or form, the funnier it is to make Borat references. Here's a joke. What does uh, what does Borat say when he's depressed about his lot? I don't know, dude. Alive. Oh, God. My favorite one, I think, I'm stealing this from Scott Aukerman on Coney Bang Bang, but what did Borat say when he finished setting up his router? My Wi-Fi. My Wi-Fi. There you go. There we go. Uh, so we're just doing other people's bits, is that it? Yep, we're just stealing people's bits and just putting them on this podcast. It's like we're bootleg bits. I can tell you other bits <laughs> from Comedy Bang Bang if you'd like. We can tell some Harris Whittles jokes. I'm going to go shave too. <laughs> gone girl, goddammit. Ben Affleck wakes up one day and finds Rosamund Pike, his wife, gone. And girl. Gone girl. She's a gone girl. And what we come to find out is that these two people are pieces of shit. Yes. Um, one of them is the slimiest asshole, this side of a slimy asshole. And the other one is a fucking psychopath. But- this movie is structured very cannily, as it would be because it's a David Fincher film. Uh, you spend basically the first half of the movie going, man, what a slimy piece of shit uh, Ben Affleck is. And uh, Rosamund Pike seems okay. And then the turn happens. And then it's like, now it's like a battle of who is the biggest piece of shit. And it's here. The, and uh, uh, with a lot of, as with a lot of David Fincher movies, it is toxic, but hilarious. It is thorny as shit, but there's like a pitch black humor to it. It's got a deep supporting cast, a very solid bench, like all the way down. Carrie Coon, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, Tyler Perry. Scoot McNary. Scoot McNary, that's true. And um, so it's basically, it's a, it's a murder mystery where no one dies. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, before we go any further, um, speaking of slimy assholes, our sponsor today is Bad Dragon. <laughs> See, Bad Dragon, that's the kind of shit you can oh, get if Lord. you hire us, if you if you pay us to talk about your product. That kind of segue work there. <laughs> but, uh, yes, this is yeah. a movie where I I went in not expecting to like it. I'll be fair. I don't know sure. why. I just, for some reason, was under the impression that I didn't like David Fincher films, even though I like pretty much every David Fincher film. I have some weird opinions on things sometimes. But I went in not expecting to like it, and I ended up just loving it straight through. I think Rosamund Pike is, if she didn't win, like, did she win, like, Best Oscar, like, Best Actress that year for an Oscar? She was, nom- she was nominated, but she didn't win. She should have. It, it, she's incredible in this film, also incredibly magnetic in, like, the most 
almost off-putting way. Yeah. Um, I think Ben Affleck uh, is also very good in it. I think uh, Tyler Perry is a really good actor in movies that he doesn't write and direct. Yeah, Tyler Perry might be the secret MVP in this. Yes. And the thing that I found so interesting about it is the way that it constantly twists audience perception and audience um, sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you feel a certain frustration for, is it Nick? Is his name? Nick Dunn, yes. Yeah. Did you feel a certain frustration for Nick at first? Because you're like, well, I kind of knew he didn't kill his wife because I'd, I'd seen the trailer for the film. So, mm-hmm. like, I knew that wasn't a thing. So I was like, so he didn't do this. And people are judging the way he's supposed to be grieving and he's supposed to be acting when that's like a really unfair thing to do is judge how someone should act in a certain situation that you've literally never been in. And it's sure. an incredibly traumatic situation. And then the more you find out about him, you're like, well, he fucking sucks. He's sure. having this affair with his student who is like, what, like 19 years old. Yeah, that's uh, Emily. I don't want to fuck up her last name. Rodzikowski. Rodzikowski. Thank you. Where and I think she's mostly cast in these kinds of roles. But that's 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 another conversation for, I think, a different podcast. Yes. Um, And then it switches over to um, Amy's viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And at first, you almost feel a kind of sympathy. Because the way she explains her situation, she explains it in feminist terms. Yeah, she, the the cool, the cool girl speech is like the pivot point. Yes. And she explains it in these terms where me, as a feminist, no surprise there, we're, this is a podcast full of SJWs. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, all the Jordan Peterson fans still listening to us. <laughs> um, but like, as a feminist, I'm kind of primed to react to those things in a way that's understanding. And then the mm-hmm. more her story goes on, you're like, oh, wait, she didn't really handle the situation in any way that's moral or decent and even though her grievances might be just and her grievances might make sense the way she actually attacks those grievances are so calculating and so fame hungry sure that you end up just hating both of them in a really almost enjoyable fun way like the only person who comes out of this looking great is um uh margot who plays Nick? Yeah, uh, Carrie Nick's uh, sister. She comes out because she basically didn't know anything that was happening, so she comes out fine. But everyone else ends up looking like a piece of shit. Uh, yep. Even Neil Patrick Harris, who plays the creepiest creep that ever did creep. Yeah, he dies real good too. He does die hella good. Um, and I think there it's worth just for a second uh, opening up. This is way too long of a discussion to get into the for the full podcast, but. Mm-hmm. There was a controversy when this film came out, or controversy is not maybe the right word, but there was some discussion, some criticism as to whether the film was promoting ideas of women as liars and ideas of like false rape allegations being common sure. and those kinds of things. How do you react to those criticisms? I mean, oh. I I think they're kind of, they they make sense out of context. When you put them in the context of the movie, I feel they're not really fair to what the movie's trying to do, but I wanted to hear your opinion. I mean, that's like at the at, uh, at the risk of like sounding like I'm balking at the question. That's pretty much where I landed. Like this movie, attra- like this is the kind of movie that would attract, for lack of a better term, discourse like flies on shit. Yes. But no, I mean, obviously, it, if like if taken in a vacuum, it's, you know, kind of shitty. But when considering when considering the context of the story, I mean, it's it's a, it's 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 still it's still thorny. But it makes sense. Like, whether or not these should be narrative devices, that's a whole other discussion. But I, yeah, I think, 
I think the only way where you could say this is promoting these ideas is if you read this film in bad faith. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I think that, I mean, obviously I don't want to be like super broad. Maybe there's a reading that I'm not seeing or maybe there's a reading I haven't seen before that I would agree with more. But I feel like when we say that this film is promoting certain ideas, we're ignoring the fact that Rosamund Pike is a bad character. <laughs> like, yeah, well, also Amy's a bad person and that that she's using these genuine grievances. She's using these genuine issues as springboards to do what she wants. Things. Like as much as patriarchy created Nick Dunn, patriarchy created Amy Dunn. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think that's something we're going like into. That's the idea. When we discuss Blade Runner, because um, there's some problematic gender politics in Blade Runner, and I say that as it's my favorite movie of all time. Problematic gender politics in a film made in the 1980s, you don't if, say. If you can believe it. Um, huh. How about that? But we have 37 seconds left. Do you have anything else you want to say about Gone Girl before we uh, before we duke it out? Oh, man. Uh, I think it's uh, good Good uh, uh, Ross Reznor score. Good... Good unnerving opening credit sequence. Fincher's really good at at these. Just the way that it cuts. It's very simple and elegant, but it's still really unnerving. And uh yeah, I think this is a top three Fincher. Okay. And and here's the part where I don't want to metagame, but I'm gonna metagame anyway. David okay. Fincher is probably one of my favorite working directors because save Benjamin Button, I haven't disliked a single thing he's made. I, I would agree. He I mean, not necessarily the- in terms of like my favorite working directors, but I think he is, he's consistently incredibly good at what he does. And some of his films like Zodiac and the Social Network, I think are genuinely like masterful. And even like, like quote unquote minor Fincher, like uh, Panic Room. It's a good fucking movie. Sure is. Yeah. Now, David Fincher got three movies into this tournament. We've already said bye bye to seven. You said bye bye to seven, to be clear. Yes, but you. Uh, I acquiesced. You- yeah, you conceded. And we've got this, and further up the bracket, we have Fight Club, which, if I remember correctly, faces The Handmaiden, a Correct. movie I have not seen. Neither have I, but it's got lesbians in it, so I'll probably like it. It does have lesbians in it. That much I that That's much. That's my I criteria for whether I like a movie or not. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> so what you're saying is that you dislike most movies. Yep, most movies are bad, except for the ones that have lesbians in them. And your name. That's the two good sure. movies. The two good movies. Um... So yeah, I don't want a metagame because I want I want one David Fincher movie in round two. I can't guarantee that Fight Club, a movie I like that I recently rewatched and recently like a year ago, but I can't guarantee that it's going to win against The Handmaiden. I think that Gone I think that Gone Girl is a better film than Your Name. I think that Your Name is one of the best films, um, and. Um, I'm interested to see, are, are you going to use a veto on this one? Because I want to like sit on my vetoes a little bit. That's fair. Because this is, this is, this is our, this is our 21st pairing. Mm-hmm. There are 128 <laughs> pairings in round one. Jesus Christ. So I've already used my one veto for like the first quarter. And if I were to use a veto now, I won't be able to use a veto. At least I won't allow myself to use a veto until we get to like the one to like the sixty fourth pairing. Yeah, you're and like, if you're doing the math correctly, that's like in ninety episodes. Yes. 
So do I want to use a veto on Gone Girl? I do want I do want to open up a small parenthesis. What happens if we run out of vetoes? Um, then we just argue until we make it work. I think that's the only way it's gonna. Well, it's the only thing we can do. Oh no, no, no! Remember, I think we agreed that if we can't decide, then we bring in like someone else for an extra episode at the end of this round where we decide all the undecideds. Okay. Oh man. Ah oh, man. I don't know if one person should wield that much power, but we we could get two people and have them disagree and then be at the same place we were. We would need a full panel of three people. We would need to get the rest of them, the house lights in on this. That's actually a pretty good idea. If we can organize all of them. By, oh, uh, man. Those, that's for a different time to worry about. Mm. For right now. Right. Like, I think you would be more willing to use a veto for your name than I would be willing to use a veto for Gone Girl. Okay. So, oh, man. God. Also, I don't know if either one of these movies goes up against the movie that I think is going to win next. So does it matter? I think, I think the if the movie that I want to win wins, that being your name, I think no matter what wins next, it will lose next round. Yeah, I think I agree. No, I and mean, even if, I mean the movie that wins next will lose. I think your name will beat it. Really? Yes. Man. Hmm. I mean, I, what I said in the chat, like, that I still stand by, like, really hardly, like, my, like, my, if I had a choice, okay, there's a new Malik movie coming out, there's a new Richard Stanley movie coming out, and there's a new Makoto Shinkai movie coming out, you can get a pass to one of them to see it early. Which one do you choose? I choose the Makoto Shinkai one. Just, it, I don't even think he's the, he might be the, my least favorite of those three directors, but he's the director I, I need to see more. He's the director that, like, he fills, I, um, he destroys the cynic in me. <laughs> and, and thus and thus upon hearing this very heartfelt, very earnest statement from his friend, Derek said, fuck that noise. And ah oh God, do I want to do this? It would be a dramatic upset if you did. Ah, uh, it would be a dramatic upset. I think I'm just gonna have to put my eggs in the fight club basket and just let you have this. Okay. Um, so just before, because I have something to say after that, but I just want to make sure before we move on. So your name is moving forward. Yes. Cool. So here's, I'm metagaming a little bit. So I want to explain to you what my reasoning here was. If you would have used a veto for Gone Girl, I would have used every other veto I have to make sure that your name moves forward. Can you stack vetoes? Yeah, remember we talked about that in episode zero, is that if one of us vetoes and the other one doesn't like that, we can use our veto and whichever veto is the most recent counts. So mm -hmm. then you could use your third veto, I would use my third veto, you would use your fourth, I would use my fourth, and then I would win. I don't think there's a movie in this bracket that I would spend two vetoes on. And I, I want your name to win this whole thing. Let me be straight up. I want your name to win this whole bracket. I don't know if it will. I think it's unrealistic for me to think. I think it'll get... I think I'll force it through far enough and then it'll die, but... I think it's got some stiff competition. Speaking of stiff competition, let me talk to you about our sponsor. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, um... Alright, so, so yeah, your Congratulations, name, your name. Beating, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm putting all my eggs in the Fight Club basket to get David Fincher into round two. So let's talk about some other movies. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully this one will... I think this one will be easier. I, th I feel this one will be a little easier. Uh, first up, the 51 seed, Apocalypse Now, released in 1979, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, excuse me, based on Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, starring Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Dennis Hopper. Uh, a hit, 
150 million dollars in oldie time late 70s money uh box office versus a 31.5 million dollar budget two ferrated the oscars winning uh for cinematography vittorio storaro and sound mixing <laughs> and uh you know a, a, a movie of some cultural significance yeah you could say that i've, I've heard Again, of this movie a couple times before i think it's a uh, <laughs> It's it's part of the the conversation. Yes, uh, uh, going up against number two hundred and eight. Be- pun, by the way, was it a pun? The conversation. Ah, see, I'm reading my notes so I can move the <laughs> um, so I can make the show go forward. Well, that's why I'm here, just to constantly make sure that the show does not move forward. It moves like sideways into a ditch off a cliff. We're like fifty minutes into this episode, and we're not even with our second <laughs> lineup yet. So I think I'm doing pretty well. I think you're just shooting yourself in the foot having to edit around this. Yeah, you're right. Uh, number two, against number 208, Before Sunrise, released in 1985, directed by uh, Isabel's nemesis, one Richard Linklater. <laughs> you know, we'll, actually, get, we'll, we'll get to there. We'll get, we'll get, get to there. It. Starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, uh, a, a modest hit, a $5.5 million box office take on a 2.5 million dollar budget and uh link later taking home the silver bear for best director from the 1995 berlin film festival before uh actually no let's let's keep going forward and we'll we'll hit it when we hit it don't worry okay so should we talk about uh should we talk about apocalypse now yeah let's go for it it's the the third best coppola film it's up there uh i think it might be like the 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 third best coppola film from the 70s (laughs) Mm. I mean, it's no, it's not the conversation, but none of those hold up to Twixt. I haven't seen Twixt. I know you're a big Twixt fan. I'm a huge Twixt booster. That's my job here. I, I boost Twixt. I boost. Um, Do you also boost Charles Twix? Burnett? They're fine. Actually, I don't think I can eat those anymore. Hold it, holy shit! They probably well, they got they got they like milk and shit, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, like dark chocolate doesn't, but I don't think it's dark chocolate. If I had, are there dark chocolate, dark chocolate Twix? I had shit up. I had semi-dark Polish chocolate for lunch this afternoon, and it was fucking great. Wait, was that your whole lunch? No, no, it was like I had a I had a sandwich. Uh, I was concerned uh, for you for a second. I thought you were just like living that like seven year old who doesn't have a parent <laughs> in the house life for a second. Very, very quick tangent. I went. I got a hot tip from a coworker that I should go to a Polish deli to get a sandwich. And so I did. And then I went and I asked, yo, can I get a pork sandwich? And then this, this fucking, like, like 50 year old Polish butcher who looks like a fucking wrestler looked at me in the eyes and said, everything here is pork. <laughs> and, and I said, I love, okay, well, I what love do-? that. And I asked him, like, like, what do people have here? It's like, usually people just get a ham and cheese. So I got a ham and cheese and damned if it wasn't the best ham and cheese sandwich I've ever had, but they had a, a, a limit, they, they had a minimum that they had to use their debit card, so like, so I bought the ham sandwich which was four bucks, and it was a, but it was a heavy ham sandwich, so I bought that uh, two bars of semi-dark Polish chocolate, and no shit, a bottle of Fanta the size of my fucking forearm <laughs> and it cost me ten bucks That's a good deal That's a good deal and that was Derek's uh, food corner. Also, just as a side note, I looked up the ingredients in Twix dark chocolate, and uh, it has milk and soy in it. Oh, it has tough. milk in it. The soy I don't care about. The milk is the issue, but you know, tough shit, I guess. Oh well, I just have to stick with my. Um, I I eat a lot of sour patch straws now. Mm-hmm. Those are like a thing. Uh, or I just discovered Mike and Ike's has a sour version that's delicious. I like a Mike and Ike's. Yeah. Uh, a- 
this is even more irrelevant <laughs> than usual, isn't it? So, Francis Ford Coppola, the conversation. Yes. No, good Apocalypse Now, fuck. Also a good movie. Also a good movie. Um, 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 so, Francis Ford Coppola's made a lot of great movies, and he's also made a lot of not great movies. But in this, in the late 70s, he was he still had his fastball, to use a sports analogy. He always um, goes for it, let's say that. He always goes for it, 100% of the time. Even, like, the bad shit is, like, high concept. Yes. So, Apocalypse Now is one of the great bummer movies of the 1970s, and that makes it high in the running for one of the best bummer movies of all time. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, it's pro- although, not a, not a dungeon movie, as you termed it. Not a dungeon movie. Uh, this movie uh, was shot by Vittorio Serraro, who got uh, uh, an Oscar for his trouble. And it's very painterly. It's a very beautiful film about atrocities. And if you didn't know, this is a Vietnam movie. It's about Vietnam. It's about the conflict in Vietnam. But just the 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 the, the blues and oranges and 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 grays and the 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 light and shadow that Storaro conjures just makes this movie. Coppola spent the seventies working with like the Mount Rushmore of cinematographers. He knew who to get to work on his movies. Oh God, I. Here's the problem with doing this in Slack is that I saw that Juan sent us a link to a definitive documentary about the movie Showgirls. Some I just got Goddess, distracted by that the- and missed everything else you were saying. Um, I mean, sure, okay. I mean, I mean, I think Showgirl. I, I don't think I'm like a, a Showgirls true believer like you and Juan are. I think it's a very entertaining movie. Um, I don't know if I want to watch a documentary about it. <laughs> explaining, I think explaining the movie would not make it go higher or lower in my esteem. Have you ever read um It Doesn't Suck, which is like that little book about like why Showgirls is actually delightful? Um I have it in my Amazon wish list and I do think that Am- uh, Adam Naiman is an excellent film writer. So uh yeah. so let's put it that way. It's a great book. Uh, um and-, and I mean Apocalypse Now is no Showgirls. But <laughs> um one I mean, thing it, I, I was surprised by, I guess, is that this is a f- fun movie question mark it's a movie that i didn't you i mean we say it's a it's a bummer movie and it is it's a movie about awful things happening and about the like horror of war and the horror of like humanity and mm-hmm. the ways in which we harm each other and it like defile like the natural world and ourselves our natural instincts sure. but it's not like it's not rough to get through it looks so gorgeous and there's so much like the dialogue is well written and interesting uh-huh. and there's such forward momentum in it that I never felt bummed out or like sad watching it. If that makes sense. Like I, I, mean, I, 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 would, I would put it on in the background kind of the same way I put like no country for old men in the background. That's also a bummer <laughs> movie that about the awfulness of like the human condition. That's closer to a dungeon movie than this. I think we have different definitions of, of dungeons. I mean, yeah, but what was the original dungeon movie? Uh, it was Prisoners. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, I I feel like um, yeah, I feel like uh, like No Country is a bit closer to that than 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 this. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I found it as raucous as as you did. Like, I feel like even something like Full Metal Jacket, which is not even like a, which is not a light movie by any stretch of the imagination, is more raucous than this. I don't think raucous is the right word. I think I found it. Um, it was a pleasant, it was a foreboding ambience to exist in, but I'm also the kind of person who listens to dark ambient music to like relax. So it was that kind of same, like beautiful background sorrow, if that makes sense. 
yeah, I guess I can kind of get it because not for like nowhere at this point are you not in the hands of a master, and that is kind of comforting, even if the subject matter isn't like. The reason that the greats are the greats is not necessarily because they go swinging and they, they like go swinging for the fences every time or do wild shit every time they're at the plate. Like the greats are the greats because they nail even like the layups, you know, like early in the movie, whenever like Martin Sheen is laying in bed and he's looking at the ceiling and you hear the helicopters over the ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. That's like 101 stuff, but it's awesome. And that's that's like a layup. That's just like an easy shot from like two feet out. But it's nailed. It's perfect. And I think like even some of the goofier stuff like, um, what is it? Kilgore is his name? Yeah. Yeah. Kilgore is a weird character and almost a comedic character, like a an incredibly darkly comedic character. Sure. Um, It feels like like when I look at this movie abstractly or from a distance, it feels like that should interrupt the vibe and that should kill like this general mood that the film's going for but somehow coppola sustains that throughout and he sustains this i'm trying to like figure out like a good musical comparison to this mood weirdly it might be the doors even though i hate the doors but like this is the best use of the doors and i think that that droning kind of repetitive heavy and like it's it's rock music without the energy it's not like it's not like sleep or something because no, no, that's too fun. <laughs> if anything, it's more like a like weakling. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a. Now that I say it, it's kind of an obscure reference. But it, it's more it's more black metal than doom metal. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, you can still you can still ha- hammer at that at that musical comparison, but I think now this is like watching an atrocity in slow motion, but in a good way. Did you mean the podcast? <laughs> Right now, no, no, no. <laughs> as as neither of us know what to say about anything, I mean, I, I'm I'm just kind of flabbergasted by it as a piece of filmmaking. I mean, I know Certainly, that's not exactly yeah. the most insightful thing to say, but it's 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 an achievement, and everyone everyone has their everyone has their fastball. Brando shows why he's a legend. Martin Sheen is a real underrated actor. Yeah, uh, fucking even Harrison Ford, Larry Fishburne, and I think that's. The best praise I can give it is that I I saw this when I was like a teenager and it was one of those movies like, oh, this is a great movie. I, I loved it. It was great. But it was like, sure. it was teenager great where you think every movie that's like somewhat famous is great. You know what I mean? Oh, it's still great. No, that, that's, that's what I was going to say is that rewatching it, I was shocked that I still found it as good as I did as when I was a teenager. I was shocked that I still found it to be this like monumental piece of work. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, well, it, you had, you know, obviously it had a famously tumultuous production process mm-hmm. which i've never i've never seen that documentary apparently it's good but hearts of apparently darkness. it's good hearts of darkness and but we well, all know I guess that we, documentaries aren't real movies so no documentaries aren't real movies because none of them are on this list <laughs> shorts and shorts and docs are for cowards <laughs> so i guess we've got to like rip the band-aid and talk about before sunrise oh uh, i mean i think it's more us huh? talking about richard link later uh, how much time we got left on the clock for Apocalypse Now? Uh, we ran out a while ago. I just I stopped. Okay. I, I didn't want to stop us. So let's talk about uh, uh, the boss from Austin, Tricky Dick Licklinger himself. <laughs> I just found that very funny. <laughs> um, Derek, tell so, everybody tell everybody how Richard Linklater is your favorite director ever and that you love Slacker and Waking Life and that you 
would die for this man or whatever. No, I'm, I'm not quite as enamored as you as you're laying this out, I but know, it may I seem know. it may seem that way compared to what your opinion of him is. But now let us let us. I'd like to do a little bit of setup for this. Let's go back into like uh, in, into the old times, into the Tumblr days, into the thirty below days. Uh, Isabel's first go around in uh, podcast land was a podcast where uh, her and a guest talked about a movie that was critically disliked. And I was on that show to talk about Johnny Mnemonic, and which is a movie I like. Good movie. Better Good than movie. anything Richard Linklater has ever made. See, here's the thing. <laughs> um, uh, the second season of that show was uh, – the, 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 the script was flipped a bit where – uh, she would talk about um, uh, critically uh, lauded movies that she disliked with someone who liked it. To be fair, I did that once, and it was with you for Waking okay. Life. I thought other people were in on this. Nope. I didn't know I was the only one. I, I needed to tell the world how much I hate Waking Life, and you were the movie, best vehicle I could imagine. A movie I still liked upon rewatch. A movie I, I liked even less upon rewatch. So, as you may have gathered by little comments during this little portion of the show... I think as- Richard Linklater is a shitty director. He seems like a fine human being, whatever, I don't care about that. But he's made... Besties with your uh, with your main man, uh, James Benning. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, I love James Benning. It'd be great if he taught Richard Linklater how to make a film. Because- I still think I still think that... I still think that Linklater has a kind of pop fascination with time the same way that Benning does, but doesn't have the formalist chops for it. He doesn't have the discipline. He doesn't have the... He's too enamored with the dumb things his characters are saying, and he thinks a lot of things are profound that are really just, like, insufferable. Like, that's... Boyhood is, like, a couple great characters in search of a good movie. School of Rock is fine or whatever. Days and Confused is abysmal. Everybody Wants Some is somehow worse than that. Worst movie of the year. Worst movie of, I think it was 2018 or 2017. It was 2017 where it finally came out like in your ass. Worst film of 2017. Absolutely. Um, A Scanner Darkly is the one movie of his, I'll say, is good. And I hadn't revisited that since high school, but I also think Slacker is fucking awful. Um, I think It's Impossible to Plow by Reading Books. It's Impossible to Learn to Plow by Reading Books is comparatively better. And that's the best I'll say about it. So... Imagine my that- surprise when I watched Before Sunrise and I didn't actively despise it. I still thought it was incredibly boring and stupid, and I think every character in it is like annoying, and I didn't like them. But it was the first one of his films where I've watched where I was like, okay, I kind of get where people are coming from with liking this kind of stuff. It doesn't work on me, and I think that there's a lot of reasons it doesn't work on me. A lot of those are sociopolitical. A lot of those are his politics himself. I think Linkletter is liberal capital L in a very, like, in a, in a way that makes it very difficult for me to deal with as a leftist. Um, and he's a humanist in a way that I think is also in a, in a philosophical and political sense that I think is very hard for me to take seriously. Um, because it seems it's, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this, but like he thinks certain things of people that I think are, a discredit to people. And I think that the way he presents those things, the way he presents what he cares about, when he finds interesting and what he finds moving is insulting to those characters. I think he, he never moved out of like age 15, which is fine. Like I was 15 once I'd said some like really like 
point pointless stuff and that I really thought was profound at the time. But like he's like what like fifty now? Like and he's still making these fucking movies. I, I realize I lost everyone already. <laughs> like everyone else loves Richard Linklater. They want to suck his dick or whatever. I think his movies are terrible, but he seems cool or whatever. But before Sunrise, like I said, is by comparison the best of his very talky movies. So if I can get a word edgewise. Yes, I apologize. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of in the tank for for the for the volubility and the sort of pseudo philosophical stuff. He's not much of a director, but I think he's a pretty decent writer. I just like the sort of I like I like the talky dorm room smoke and weed for the first time vibe of his movies. Like I liked Boyhood, I liked Everybody Wants Some. All the movies that you disliked, I liked to loved. Yeah. I mean I think and that's most people, to be fair. And I I'm, think I'm relatively lot- alone in this searing hatred I have of the man's films. <laughs> um like I'm not going to sit here and say that these like kind of reinvented the wheel. Or like I like I barely think any of them are like great movies, but I think they're easy hangs, and I think that's that's not something I necessarily value in all movies. It's definitely something I appreciate in his. It's like not every movie has to be a good hang, but his consistently are. For me, obviously. Um specifically to this movie. And I'm gonna I'm gonna the say the most romantic my, movie of all time, as some critics have said, which is I, absurd, but I mean, romantic as in love, I don't know. I don't think so. But there is an air of romance to it in like the- In the the, capital R sense. The capital R sense, exactly. And the thing with that particular kind of romance is that it kind of starts to rust a little bit when you turn like 26. And also the sort of, uh, the, 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 the kind of luster of like, the European trip where you find yourself kind of gets lost when your roots are in Europe already. Like, there's nothing romantic about the French if you're French. <laughs> um, but that idea, that idea, the same reason I like a movie like uh, Night of Short Walk on Girl, and the same reason I appreciate a movie like uh, After Hours, is that that idea that the night has an infinite amount of possibilities, and literally anything can happen. And this is where it kind of ties in with Linklater's notion of how he films time. This movie is like a cool hour and a half. And uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are with each other for like a maximum of like 18 hours. But those 18 hours feel like three days, but I feel in the best way possible. And that romance doesn't die as easily as the romance of like the meeting someone in Europe and falling in love or whatever. That sense of romance dies very with great difficulty so i i have two things one it's actually an hour and 40 minutes and i felt most of the minutes of it not every minute i felt most of the minutes of it it was very long to me um and also i i like after hours and i also like night of short walk on girl quite a bit i think the the difference is that things happen in those movies i i don't need every movie to be movies where things happen like i love james benning i love 13 lakes where it's literally shots of 13 lakes but in a movie in which the premise is this night is almost unstuck from time. This night is infinite and anything could happen in it. And then nothing happens. It, it feels, uh, it feels very another, frustrating. Can I get another word, word in edgewise? Yes. Yes. I, I'm, I, 
I'm going to stump for this movie because I know it's going to fucking lose. So let me let you me say my piece. Veto. I'm not going to use a veto because it's not a better movie than Apocalypse Now. Spoilers. I mean, come on. I mean, I love this movie, but come on. Hey, some people have said that this is one of the best films in the 90s. So It's a good movie. Okay. So I think a lot of this movie doesn't have the, the, the raw incident and action of an After Hours or a Night is Short. Because I think a lot of it is the act, the action is a kind of interpersonal anxiety, or I guess the, I guess the common, uh, sort of craft fair way of saying it is butterflies. Now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wrinkled old man and have not experienced such a thing in a very long time. But I think that kind of electric anxiety that play, that's like, you know, that plays inside of someone over the course of this movie is, its own incident. And that's something I can vibe with. If we're talking about that feeling, which is a feeling I actually, I really appreciate. And I love a lot when a movie can make me feel that way. Makoto Shinkai's movies do that a lot better, to be frank. Um, I think there's a lot of other movies that do this. Like I didn't, I guess the, the main disconnect here is that this movie is so separate from any way that I've experienced relationships, any way that I've experienced love or dates, or even like that butterfly feeling that it made it so, it just felt, it just rung very untrue to me. Um, whereas lots of other things, like for example, um, there's this album that just came out this year, um, by Sir Baby Girl. Uh, and I don't remember the name of the album right now, which is bothering me, but it has this feeling of me, first, uh, it's like meeting your first crush and like having this incredible feeling for them that you don't know how to express properly and you feel nervous around them. And it expressed that incredibly well. And I loved it because of that. And this movie just never, it never rises to that feeling. The most it rises to is, oh, these are two kind of boring, somewhat annoying people who happen to seem to like each other a little bit. Which I totally totally fair that other people feel that it does raise those feelings within them. It just it doesn't work on me, I guess. Is I think- Link Later's specific cultural experiences and the way he presents them are such turnoffs to me that any anything he's trying to present beyond those seems just unpleasant in comparison or or by association rather here's the last thing i'm going to say about it because i don't know how how deep we've gone we've we're slightly over time okay ethan hawk's character is kind of annoying yes but i think that character works because there's that anxiety and that jitteriness that gets slightly smoothed out as the film goes on and julie delpy's character is like working in like the opposite direction so it's like a 95-minute version of like those two feeling each other out and coming at kind of an emotional compromise, if you will. And I, 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 I won't, I, I, but that's fine. You won't what? I, I won't. You said if you will, and I, I won't. But I understand what you're <laughs> coming from. I mean, I guess that's all I can really hope for. Like I said, this, this movie did make me understand what people see in this kind of movie, but I still don't like it. Is, sure. Is, is the long and short of it. So I guess we can just give the belt to Apocalypse Now now, right? I mean, hey, if you if you want to debate about this and like if you really want to go to bat for it before sunrise, then we can like I could have the rhetorical skills of an old world god and I would never be able to convince you that to like before sunrise. To be fair, the one I here's one way you could have moved forward with it is if you made me veto first in the your name situation. And then you saved up one veto, and then you you used it at this exact moment. That would have worked if you would have but done that, that. Here's the thing. I think that Before Sunrise is a good movie. 
I think Apocalypse Now is one of the greatest movies ever made. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, if you ask me to choose between those two movies, I take Apocalypse Now nine times out of ten. But I have to stump for this. No, that that's totally fair. And I've I've been told by a couple people so far that they think I'll like the next before movie uh, more. So we'll see. They get they get emotionally naughty and sad, from what I understand. Which is more my vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So that was an exhausting <laughs> episode, wasn't it, Derek? Man, it's quarter past one in the morning here. I gotta work tomorrow. It's ten thirteen. I also have to work tomorrow. But uh, let's wrap this up so you can go to bed. All right, so recap the two winners today and who will face each other in round two. Your name versus Apocalypse Now. Dark Horse it's going, winner, your name. It's going to be a shit show. <laughs> so, um, uh, so what's the back end stuff we got to do? Uh, we got to do, uh, we got to see what's happening next week and we got to oh, give our, yes. our, our Twitters and shit. So next time on episode uh, 12 of uh, Middle Brown Madness. Uh, we're going to have another uh, fresh set of two matchups, and they will be all about Eve versus A Beautiful Mind and Inception versus Eight and a Half. What a weird fucking lineup. And I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to be very vague here. But next episode, there's at least one movie that I find morally indefensible. So if you're interested in hearing me talk about that, you got to tune in next week. It turns out that Federico Fellini... I don't know how to fucking end this joke. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where, I don't know where this joke is going. I haven't even watched Eight and a Half yet. I was going to say is a fascist, but then I remembered that there was fascism in Italy for a while, and I didn't want to accidentally uh, bring some stuff up. So that being said, um, maybe I should just blow through this really fast. Yes. Uh, if you want to yell at us because of our picks or for whatever reason, uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can hit us up on uh, – either individually or as a podcast on Twitter. You could reach the pod at MiddlebrowPod. You can reach Isabella at SpaceJamFan. You can reach me at Derek underscore G. You could send us an email at MiddlebrowMadness at gmail.com. Our shit is still open for recipes. Bad Dragon, if you're listening, hit us up for some sponsorship. And um, oh, and we should say, because we never actually say this, please like subscribe and like rate us on iTunes. Oh. We have five five-star ratings, which is great. And we have That's two awesome. actual reviews, which are very nice and very kind. Thank you to both of you. But uh, I w- tell your friends if you got friends who like movies and shit, we're not going to get I mean, that Bad Dragon sponsorship without some more ratings. <laughs> yeah, uh, if we got to get those those sweet sweet dildo bucks, <laughs> so uh, tell your friends and uh, you know your your parents, your grandparents, anyone like like please have have nana listen to our bad dragon sponsored movie podcast to be fair i mean my dad listens to this podcast so i think like at a certain point hey Isabel, hey, Isabel's dad i can't believe you're still listening to this i'm sorry <laughs> of all the for all the things i've said i'm sorry for my twitter too that you have to read where i say awful things on i keep forgetting that your dad follows me on twitter as well so when i go on long protracted uh tweet storms about getting kicked out of orgies that never existed uh I have that inkling. I was like, oh, wait, Isabel's dad totally follows me on Twitter. See, it's one of those things that's always in the back of my head. When, when I'm going to make a tweet like the one I made a couple days ago where I said, if I could ask the president any question, I'd ask him which member of the Kong family makes him nut the hardest. I, <laughs> In the back of my head, I'm like, my dad's going to see this. Anytime I, I think about it tweeting, anyways. Anytime I think about posting about pre-cum, I think about <laughs> Isabel's dad. <laughs> like... Maybe we should end the show before we say something illegal. Okay. Um, 
I've been Derek Gunning. No, that's me. Nope, we're fine. I've, I've been <laughs> Isabel Arf. <laughs> I should have just said your name. I've been Derek Gunning. Have movies, be jolly. Have movies, be jolly. Good night, everybody. Good night.